For every successful creator project, there's an equal and opposite one that didn't happen. A sort of parallel universe of possibility that only its creator will ever know about, until now. And I'll be your guide as we speak with artists and innovators about the forking paths and roads less traveled that led to their creative breakthroughs. It's the intersection of possibility, where what-ifs and why-nots collide. Some on the cutting edge, others on the cutting room floor. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. This is The Bleed. I'm Daedalus Howell, your host who talks to creatives on the cutting edge. We're talking with comedian and author Aiden Park, who was basically airdropped into the U.S. from South Korea as a kid with no English, tons of family dysfunction, and up against prejudice galore, not least of which because he's gay. And since he was undocumented, work was hard to come by, and surviving as a sex worker was cut short due to an HIV diagnosis. Instead of despairing, Aiden threw himself into the world of self-help and cognitive behavior, and as it happens, he became a stand-up comedian and now author with The Art of Being Gay. The book will help you find your own authentic joy, but before we go down that road, buckle up, bleeders, and meet Aiden Park. Aiden Park, The Art of Being Yay. How did this begin? These origin stories are often, at least I've seen them start where somebody's really low and they find their own way out of it. Is that what led you to the RWA or? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a very stereotypical kind of story. <laughs> you get miserable enough, you start focusing on like, you, you just want nothing but to feel better. And that is actually what drove me to start researching how to be happier in everyday life. And so I know you're a comedian, you're everywhere, you're an author. Why was life getting you down? It sounds like you haven't made, man. <laughs> it's like... Um, well, okay. So, you know, I'm tall and I smile a lot and like, you know, yeah, I'm like a touring comic. So people are like, oh, like he came from a couple of dentists in Orange County. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of not how it happened. Like, uh, you know, I was raised uh, with a single grandmother in government housing in San Francisco, in, like extreme poverty as an undocumented immigrant. And so oh, wow. when I graduated high school, I couldn't go to college because I was undocumented. <laughs> and then I didn't really have any parenting because, uh, you know, my grandmother didn't speak English. And she was kind of out of the picture a lot. And yeah. so uh, I was out there on the ragged edge there. And I actually was a... <laughs> a Craigslist prostitute for a minute <laughs> until that that's until I got HIV. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So then it was like, all right, I'm at the bottom. So it was at that point where a friend of mine, like kind of saw my situation and kind of like pushed me into the world of, um, empowerment. Right. Like, so I went to this uh, empowerment workshop and I loved it because it was actually like my first taste of like what empowerment felt like. Mm -hmm. And so 
from then on, I studied that a lot and I applied that to career concepts, you know, money, relationships, communication. And so using the tools that I learned over those years, like I, I did like neuro-linguistic programming and I literally just threw myself into that world. That's how I got to be like headliner or whatever, accomplisher, Does, you yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty amazing trajectory. When you say neuro-linguistic programming, what is that exactly? And I was watching one of your videos and that came up. It sounds fascinating. (laughs) I love neuro-linguistic programming. Okay, so neuro-linguistic programming is based on this concept that your language creates your reality. So what you say to yourself and what comes out of your mouth, it's like a mental map, right? Mm -hmm. So I might say stuff like, I'm lazy, now you've identified with lazy and there's like subconscious things that happen where you start defending your own laziness because now it's identified with you. Oh, interesting. So because it becomes part of your, your identity, then you have to become like like self-defensive and, and, and you're defending right. the wrong thing. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's subjective and objective. So subjective, objectively, your name is Daedalus. My name is Aiden, right? Right subjectively, I might be like, even this, even something like, oh, Daedalus has a sexy voice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, no homo, man. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm just saying. So like, even something like that, you know, people will take something like that and then they'll make it concrete so that it becomes like the truth right, right. for them. And they function in the world as if that is a objective truth. And people do that with everything. Like, you know, whatever X, Y, and Z candidate is a better candidate than this. This person will ruin the world or... And so it almost manifests because of that belief system that gets built around it. Is that what you're saying or... Yeah, there's a part of our brain called reticular activating system that actually deletes, distorts, and generalizes information that comes in that is not a match to what you have already deciphered as like a truth. So... That's why the whole fake news thing is happening, honestly, because people have already decided that this site is good and this site is bad. And now, like, you know, from our ancestors, we have survival instincts that need to protect our model of the world in order to survive. And they use that. And so they're defending against new information that seems contrary to what they've decided is the safest route. Yeah, it seems like almost a very dangerous concept in the wrong hands. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Totally. What have you done, Aiden? <laughs> but yeah. You know, you listen to people and you can actually, if you hang out with them, you can hear their model of the world just from their languaging. It's literally, they have a map of the world. You know, Asians can't drive or California is the best state or this candidate is better or you know, people who do X, Y, and Z are out to hurt me. So they have this mental map of the world that when people talk, they will reveal to you. So NLP gives you a way for you to look at that and go, ah, this is how you maneuver without interrupting their model of the world. Because if you interrupt their model of the world without them welcoming you in, it causes problems. Yeah, no, that's what you end up with Karens in, you know, YouTube videos. (laughs) Right. That's that moment. So neuro-linguistic programming is just one of the many tools that you've acquired over the years and explore in on your book, The Art of Being Yay. Yeah. What other tools are you working with? And how did you decide? Because I know you kind of went through a vetting process where you tried things and some things worked and some things didn't, and you've aggregated no. all the best things. What was that process like and, and what have you ended up with? 
Well, I got really good at accomplishing. And I did all of this secretly because I didn't want people to think I was a weirdo for, because <laughs> I mean, you, you just said it yourself. Like that sounds dangerous. And like, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't mean to like disparage it. I just mean like, I could see how somebody could use this in a negative way to manipulate other people like the media does, you know, sometimes or not the media. God, what am I saying? I am the media. But I mean like, you know, support causes that are or people like Trump or, you know, like that. And that can be dangerous. There's literally language patterns that are hypnotic, that if you speak in a certain way, you can influence other people because it kind of drills into their subconscious. Yes, Aiden, I see that now. I see that you may be hypnotizing me. <laughs> with my laugh, that laugh. Is <laughs> people go to sleep with this on. <laughs> I think it's a very joyful laugh. I think it's great, man. <laughs> so, I, I'm super happy, so yay. <laughs> <laughs> but what other tools have you found that helped you shape this program and, and this vision that you've captured in your book? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because, like I said, I got really good at accomplishing things, right? Like accomplishing goals that are tactical. And what happened was a few years ago, I lost my husband, right? So I was with him for five years. You know, we were like side by side. We were partners and I lost him to cancer. Uh, I'm really sorry. And it was a crazy loss. It was like, oh, like it, it hit me hard. And so, and this ties, this does tie back to your question. I'm not going off on a tangent. Okay. I no, no worries. Yeah, no <laughs> worries. So what happened was at that point, I was so miserable. I didn't care about anything. Like who cares about my comedy career or I didn't care about anything. So the only thing I was like, it's either do or die, man. You either just go kill yourself. It's like either do or die. It's like, okay, let's crap or get off the pot here. Like if you're going to stay, I refuse to stay feeling this bad. It's just every day was so hard on me mm -hmm. that I was like, there's just no way that I'm going to feel this bad. So that was the inspiration for me to kind of start thinking about how I might be able to apply the things I learned over however many years to accomplish, you know, like goals, right? That are like tangible, like money or whatever. What if I apply those to an emotional result, the emotional result of feeling better, like going after happy? What does that even mean? What is the emotional satisfaction? How do I go after that directly? Yeah. and not go after tangible. When I started doing that, that's when things really changed. And it made me completely reprioritize everything, <laughs> actually. And so what did that look like in, like in practical terms? Like, what did you change off the bat? Well, at first I did what everybody kind of tells you to do, right? Like in our society, the general advice is, oh, you're not happy? Work hard to change the tangible situations around you so that you can become happier, right? right. So that's like the general advice. And so I did that to absolute epic fail. Like I went out <laughs> and I was like, Okay, well, um, my boyfriend's dead, but you know what? I'm going to do like three comedy shows a night and I'm going to go work and I'm going to make money and I'm going to go on dates. Awful idea. Don't do that uh, oh, when your <laughs> boyfriend just died. And I'm just going to keep myself busy. Go, go, go. Which ended up with me having like, you know, three panic attacks <laughs> and um, real gnarly situations. So then that didn't work. And I hit an even lower rock bottom at the end of that. 
I felt very alone and very, you know, like whatever. And I guess the thing that really changed my perspective on it all was a friend of mine said, you know, anything you actually want, if you really drill it down, it's an emotional want at the end. So mm-hmm. I could say I want a million dollars, but it might be everybody has a different reason for wanting a million dollars. Why? Because I want to feel safety and comfort. That could be one reason, or I want to feel powerful. That could be another reason, or I want to feel like, you know, proud of myself for supporting my family or whatever the emotional end result is. It's all about emotional end. Like Mm -hmm. we all want whatever we want because we think we'll feel better. But we express it in these material terms sometimes. We think that the material things is a tool that we think that we can use to get to that emotional end, is what she said, right? Interesting. And Smart. at the time, yeah. I was yeah. like, who, what, who is this hippy-dippy, you know, bullcrap? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and then you get desperate, and I tried it. Like, I actually tried, I write about this in the book, like, where I was in a situation where I missed Michael really bad. And I was going to go straight to like meltdown, except I stopped. And I was like, okay, well, Michael can't come back. So if Michael were here, what do you think he would be satisfying emotionally for you? And when I asked that question, I found there were answers. Mm-hmm. Oh, if he were here, because I had lost a big check that I got from a job that I did and he was the money guy. And so I was like, oh, well, if he were here, he would provide me a sense of safety, security, comfort, soothing. Mm-hmm. Great. Now I can go, well, Michael can't come back from the dead, right? But this is the emotional end result that I'm wanting and I'm frustrated because I can't get it. It's very clinical. It's like I can't get it in the way that I think I can get it. So now I need to own it and give myself that. That's amazing. And, and that kind of rigorous self-introspection was that difficult i mean i find it difficult to look at myself in the mirror sometimes let alone look deep within my soul and you know how did you muster the courage to face yourself like that and understand what you needed well i think that um when you're in enough pain you'll do anything (laughs) right right (laughs) Like, when you are in enough pain, you will try anything. I was desperate, one. (laughs) And two, because I've been involved in the empowerment world, like the neuro-linguistic programming is all about kind of self-reflection and seeing, oh, well, there's a limiting belief that gets in my way. And there is a limiting belief. Like, you know, if I held the belief, like, you know, gay comedians are going to have a harder time making it. By the way, I'm gay. Did we mention that? Well, I'm talking about my boyfriend, but... (laughs) (laughs) The listeners are like, oh, God, I hope he knows. <laughs> I, I think they can infer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so writing the book, the creative process, putting this down. I mean, obviously, you've written tons as a comedian for your material on stage. But like writing the book, was it a different process for you? Was it difficult or were there challenges that were interesting for you? Yeah. So it was interesting because everything kind of happened accidentally, right? So as I started doing these happiness things, I actually greatly improved my happiness level within months. It was very, very quick, very, very, very quick turnaround. 
That's amazing. I mean, it sounds like you were probably at some point clinically depressed, right? <laughs> I mean, and did, yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's heavy. I'm really impressed. It's admirable that you're able to work with that and get to a better place. Thank you. It was rough. It was totally rough. <laughs> it was very difficult, but I did discover that like, you know, it, it's like, when you have a challenge like that, like, oh, I miss Michael. And that happened all the time. Like, it was, yeah. it was like, oh, I would be in the cereal aisle and I would start crying, you know, or shopping for salad. Like, oh, my God, kale, spinach, <laughs> arugula, oh, my God. Um, so, but, you know, the key is actually to take a look at each of those. I started doing that for everything, which really helps, right? Because I could be sitting in traffic and frustrated at the traffic traffic's not going to change. What would I be feeling if I weren't sitting in traffic? Peace. So give yourself that. And then find a way to do that within the parameters of the traffic because traffic ain't going to change. So I started doing that with everything and I started feeling better. And so then someone noticed, like uh, my mentor who uh, runs a business department at Pepperdine University, she noticed, she referred me to a friend who writes books just to talk to her and the friend was like, I'm helping you. You're getting this book done. So she helped me get the book done. And this is how it happened. <laughs> that is so great. And now it's coming out and Margaret Cho wrote the introduction, which is amazing too. I mean, just across the board, this is such a great project. Born of pain and now it's something beautiful. So congratulations, man. It's really great. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I, I hope you like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the next podcast, like, so uh, I got to talk to you about your book, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got a D in English, man. So I, you know, <laughs> she no, would be rolling over. I don't know if she's still alive. She was pretty old when I took her class. Uh, this was like 20 years ago. But man, like she hated my writing. This woman <laughs> hated my writing. Dude, you've got to find her and deliver it, man. <laughs> oh my God. Well, maybe to her grave. Oh my God. Oh, is oh my God. That's, you need I, a picture of that, man. <laughs> I'll put it by her. He's like, here's your D. <laughs> I'll stick it to her. <laughs> it's like, hey, why did Aiden go to hell? Well, he put this book on a grave. <laughs> <laughs> You know what, though? It was kind of my fault. I didn't do the reading assignments. Like, she was one of those years who would just, like, she got lazy. It was her retirement year, so she just did pop quizzes. She was like, pop quiz, well, you know, what did Jessica do on page 38 of this book yesterday that you were supposed to read? And I never did the reading. That's why I got a D. Let's not blame her. So it really <laughs> I didn't do my work. <laughs> Well, you did your work now and you have the book. So The Art of Being Gay, it's out there everywhere in ebook, audiobook, and paperback form, which is great. And I'm um, looking forward to reading it. And I encourage everyone to read it. And we can find you at aidenpark.com. Yeah, I have a weekly feel better newsletter that goes out. I do like a weekly video blog based on like, you know, what I feel like people are facing, like, you know, anxiety. It's, it's a really tough time right now. And Nobody really talks about emotion. <laughs> Everybody just kind of goes, oh, you feel bad here? Drink this or oh, let's ignore it. <laughs> and it's like speaking from the perspective of having to have dealt with extreme emotion, it, I found that the best way is to kind of like address it and go into it. That The joy is on the other side of that. You need to go within. You can't dance around it and think you're going to run forever because it's going to sneak up. It will get you. It'll get you. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, no, very, very wise words. So, well, it was a total pleasure talking with you, and I hope we get to talk again sometime. The Art of Being Gay is available wherever quality books are sold in every conceivable format. But a place you can start is AidenPark.com. That's A-I-D-A-N-P-A-R-K.com. Speaking of .coms, you can always find me at dhowell.com. That's D-H-O-W-E-L-L.com. And while we're name dropping all of these wonderful domain names, consider visiting Storygram.com. That's Storygram with two M's and an E. Special thanks and shout out to Transistor.fm, our wonderful host. And until next episode, keep leading. short teasers are excerpts from comedian Aiden Park's book, The Art of Being Yay. Think self-empowerment with a comedic twist. These are tough times we're all going through. Who couldn't use a little mental health wellness and laughter? For more of The Art of Being Yay, visit AidenPark.com. That's A-I-D-A-N-P-A-R-K.com. Sponsored by The Laugh Cellar and Storygram Podcast Network. Their problem with relying on external conditions for your own happiness is that things are completely out of your control. Has 2020 coronavirus taught you anything? <laughs> Look, I'll talk about me. 2020 was supposed to be my year, okay? I have a political consulting business that I, that I work with. <laughs> I have a lot of side businesses. But um, I have one of those, and 2020 was going to be a huge year for me, you know, doing um, uh, during the presidential season, and uh, the coronavirus shut everything down. So I'm not making any money doing that. This was supposed to be my year. If I was relying on that going right so that I could have money in my bank account so I could be happy, well, I'm screwed. And on some level, everybody's experiencing this. I've seen posts on Facebook. 2020 was the year that I was going to get married in Milan. Sorry, pandemic, you know. Or, oh, 2020 was going to be the year that I make it in comedy. Sorry. (laughs) No stages are open, so good luck with that. I actually have a friend who got a new set of, you know, implants. And 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 the the reality is, those implants are only as great as they are to be appreciated. So if no one can get close enough to you within six feet to appreciate your new tatas, well, then you've wasted your implants for right now, right? I mean, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear the noise, does it really make a sound? It's the same thing. Like, oh, great, great looking things. You know, nobody's there to appreciate you for it. They told me to stop being un-PC on these posts and be more serious, but I just can't. (laughs) I think I'm too amusing. (laughs)